Thanks, Bob. That was a, a long passage. <laughs> this last summer, we did some uh, camping in, up in the Adirondacks and explored a little bit. And one day, we went to Lake Placid and heard it was an, a neat little town and wanted to check it out. And of course, I knew of something that had happened there in 1980. And I bet many of you know what I'm talking about. It's that was the year the USA Hockey Olympic team defeated the Russians in a surprise victory. Alas, when we went to visit, the, uh, the Olympic Center was being renovated and we couldn't get in or anything. But um, I, I'll be honest, I know the story because of the Disney movie. Um, so it's called, the, Disney made a movie called Miracle, and it was about the, quote, miracle on ice that happened uh, when it was these kind of young college uh, hockey players managed to defeat the Russians who were just the dominant figure at that time. And the coach was Herb Brooks. And in the movie, I took note of, he comes across very harsh. He does not sugarcoat it as, as the team is starting to practice and meet. He, is, he speaks very plainly about how hard he's going to expect them to work. And he works them quite hard, and, and um, he, he says, I'm not here to be your friend, you know. And he works them and says, if we want to have a chance to beat, beat the Russians, it's going to take a lot of hard work. And that idea comes across in the movie. But the reward, what is the reward, right? What would it be to be a part of that winning team, to be a part of the team that you know defeated the, the Russians in, in that year? How awesome would that be? One of the great sport wins of all time. Our passage today is kind of like that. Jesus speaks very plainly with his disciples about the challenges, the hardships they will face. And he's been, been doing that all along. And he's working to prepare his disciples to continue to follow him after the cross. And so this, is, this passage comes from the day before Jesus goes to the cross. He's going to be arrested later that night. And he knows it's going to be hard for him, right? He's obviously going to be crucified. But even for his disciples to watch it, to, to, to do that, and to still keep following him, to not giving up, especially until they get to the resurrection. And so he's, he's worried. And, and 16.1, he says, you know, I'm saying these things to you so that you will not fall away or you, not, you will not stumble in your faith. Right? And in verse 4, he says, I'm saying these things to you so that after it happens, you'll remember what I've said. Right? So you'll know. Um, he's, in verse 12, he says, I have many more things to say to you. Um, and it's more than you can take in right now. Jesus wants to so much prepare them to, to ready them so that they will follow him through this time. And then he ends with what our reading today is, I've told these things to you, I've said these things to you, so that in me, you will have peace. But in this world, you will have trouble, tribulation. You will face hardships. So he's readying his disciples to, to make it through. He's not promising that it will be an easy path for them. And he's saying the same thing to us. Following Jesus, becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ 
is not the easy path. Another analogy or metaphor Jesus had used earlier in his ministry is he says, you know, there's, there's the broad path and that leads to destruction. Following me is the narrow path of discipleship and only a few are, are willing to walk on it. To follow Jesus means you're willing to, to take the harder, more difficult way, um, not the easy way that everyone else is going. And so before we dig into our, our passage itself, I think we've got to ask this question. What makes it worth it? What makes being a disciple of Jesus Christ worth it? Have you ever really thought through that question? I mean, are you... Are you I think sometimes people just get in because, well, my parents took me to church, so I guess I should go to, you know, you just started doing it without ever really thinking about, is this worth it? Is this the direction I want to go with my life? And we are commanded to think, to think about this question. At one point, Jesus tells a little mini parable in Luke 14. It's, it's the parable of the unfinished tower. And he says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost to whether he has enough to complete it. And he's talking about this in context of those, are you willing to do the hard stuff in following me? So we're called to count the cost of being a disciple. Because basically it goes on to say, you know, otherwise if you get it started and you don't finish, people are going to laugh at you. They'll mock you. And, and so are you ready to finish? Are you ready to walk with Christ no matter what it means? Now, one answer that might just jump to your mind, and many people do as well, just need a good refresher. This is a great book. It's 50 years old now. Um, in fact, J.I. Packer recently passed away in 2020. But he lays out just the basics. It's a good good core discipleship book. Um, and, and, and there's a chapter called Knowing... And being known. And I, I, uh, I often have kind of made it a phrase of mine that we're made to know and be known by God. I had forgotten where I got that from. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that must have been what got me that phrase in my mind. But in this, he, he gives a, a quote. And he's talking about, we, we know God. We know God because he's, he's invited us to, to join him in a cause, in his work. And, and Packer uses the, the comparison to those who were uh, working with Churchill during World War II and how, and Packer's British. So he's like, you know, those who had the, they, they would consider it a privilege to have worked with such a great man in such an important cause. And they, you know, all the, the difficulties they faced in working for Churchill, they, they considered worth it because they knew how important it was. And so, so Packer then does an analogy. And I'm going to read a long passage. It's a long quote. So sorry for this. It's going to be on the screen to follow. But I think what he captures really is, is worth looking at. So it's the idea that God has invited us to, to, to work with him. It says, what happens is that the almighty creator, the Lord of hosts, the great God before whom the nations are as a drop in a bucket comes to you and begins to talk to you through the words and truths of holy scripture. Perhaps you've been acquainted with the Bible and Christian truth for many years, and it has meant little to you, but one day you wake up to the fact that God is actually speaking to you, to you, through the biblical message. 
And as you listen to what God is saying, you find yourself brought very low, for God talks to you about your sin and guilt and weakness and blindness and folly and compels you to judge yourself hopeless and helpless and cry out for forgiveness. But this is not all. You come to realize as you listen that God is actually opening his heart to you, making friends with you, and enlisting you as a colleague, in Bart's phrase, a covenant partner. It is a staggering thing, but it is true. The relationship in which sinful human beings know God is one in which God, so to speak, takes them onto his staff to be henceforth his fellow workers and personal friends. The action of God in taking Joseph from prison to become Pharaoh's prime minister is a picture of what he does to every Christian. From being Satan's prisoner, you find yourself transferred to a position of trust in the service of God at once. Life is transformed. Do you you get that? We have been invited to join in God's staff and the work and in, in doing. And, and has that not been what Jesus has been saying throughout this whole, whole thing? When he said to the disciples, I no longer call you servants. Instead, I call you friends because everything I learned from the Father, I've made known to you. And you're, you're going to be with me working on this, this great project. So, this is the reason why we can be willing to face hardship because we believe the cause is worth struggling for, right? We've signed on. It's not just that, yeah, we'll we'll get to a, a great eternal life in the end. It's because Jesus has invited us to join in the battle. Packer, like I said, connected this to Churchill uh, Winston Churchill was the, the prime minister, elevated to be prime minister right at the beginning of World War II when things looked look dark and dim. And in his first speech, just let me give you a quick line. He, he, he speaks very plainly. He says, I would say to the house, as I said to those who have joined this government, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and of suffering. You know, and that's that's just a little portion. But Churchill, in laying out that it will be difficult, he rallied the British people to, to, to resist the Nazi war effort and stand strong to fight for the British Empire. And, and likewise, Jesus in our passage, speaking plainly, following me won't be easy, but it's going to be worth it. And he's inviting us to join the fight, the battle, for the kingdom of God coming to earth. He's speaking plainly that we'll face hardships, but that if we, if we stand with him, in the end, we will see victory. We will overcome. So, let's get to our passage. In it, Jesus gives three descriptions of of what they're going to face. Three, three different ways he tries to, to prepare them to talk about this. And I discerned within this five different reasons why they should stick with it and not give up. So the first one is this little phrase where Jesus says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. Now, what he's talking about, maybe we could see. The disciples couldn't quite grasp this, but but he's saying, you know, we know that Jesus will be condemned 
And the next day, he'll be whipped and crucified and, and executed on a Roman cross. And so they would see him no more, see him no longer. But then, on the third day after, he would rise again. And so they would see him. So Jesus is preparing them to face this, this time. And he says, you will weep and lament while the world rejoices. Right? The, when the enemies of Jesus saw him on the cross, they rejoiced because they thought, ah, we're, we're finally getting rid of this troublemaker. Right? We finally got rid of him. <laughs> and then he comes back. Right? You will weep and lament while the world rejoices, but your sorrow will turn to joy when they saw him risen from the dead. Then it, then it would be make sense. Jesus couldn't explain it to them before, and they just couldn't get it. He says, I have so many more things I want to tell you, but you're not ready to bear it. But when they saw him resurrected from the dead, it would start to, to make sense. Now, this, this saying is very specific to the disciples, you know, right? He's letting them know the next few days, but the principle holds true for God's people. That we will face times of sorrow and struggle, um, but they will not last. God, does, God is not, we're not lost from God's sight. He sees what goes on in our life. And whatever sorrows and hurts, we can bring them to, to him. And Psalm 30 is one of those prayers where, where someone is, where, where we're invited to bring to God our heartaches. And it says, weeping may last for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Later in Psalm 30, it says, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing, and you filled me with gladness. In Lamentations 3, it talks about um, this. I love this verse first. Compassions never fail. They are new every morning. He has compassion upon us, and with the morning will bring new things. Right? A little while. Yes, there will be suffering and sorrow. But, but God can turn our mourning into dancing. And so the first reason I believe Jesus is giving them to stay, stay true, stay, stay, keep going is that they need to trust in the Lord through these times because joy will return. Sorrow will not last forever. And in fact, the times of sorrow are, are, are those times where we have an opportunity to trust God in a way. If, if life were always easy, you know, if, if deciding to, to trust in Jesus made, made everything just went exactly swimmingly for us and we never had any troubles... When would we ever learn to trust God and to follow with and, and learn from him? So trust in the Lord through those difficult times. Joy will return. So then Jesus tries a second metaphor because th there's a whole long conversation like they didn't, the disciples had trouble understanding what he was talking about. So he says, well, let's try this. So then he gives a metaphor of a woman giving birth and it talks about how a woman has has sorrow, which means really her physical labor pain, because her hour has come. And, and then, of course, but that, that doesn't last. That, you know, once she gives birth, that, that is gone. And in fact, um, at the end, after the child is born, the joy is so great, it's almost like she forgets the, the pain of childbirth. That, ladies, is that true? I, I, I have no comment on whether, you know, but, but he, you know, she, 
the joy of a child being born is so great, she remembers her anguish no more. Uh, and he's saying, that's going to be your situation. So you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. So reasons to keep going. One is, the joy will be greater than the sorrow we endure. The resurrection of Christ changes everything. I, that new song you guys sang, you know, th- this is the reason. Uh, like it just fit exactly that Jesus being raised from that it changes everything for us. And no one will take our joy. Why? Because the kingdom of God has been born into the world. Right? That, that is the new thing that has come with, with the resurrection. And, and so that leads us to the second reason that we need to keep going. Is the Father has included us in his kingdom and in the, the mission of the kingdom. Right? right? Right after Jesus talks about this, what does he say? He says, from now on, you, you don't need to, to go through me to talk to the Father. You can bring whatever you need, your requests, to the Father himself. The Father himself knows you. He, he, he'll listen to you. you. You don't have to go through me. You know, up till now, you haven't done it. But, but now I tell you, bring your needs, your requests to God the Father. He will answer. Why? Because he, God has included us. We're, we're on the team. Um, we're not merely servants We're friends, we're collaborators in God's salvation plan as we work for him. Just as Packer said, and and if so, then then whatever it takes, I'm on. We're going to see this all the way to the end. So the first two things, I don't know if the disciples quite understood what Jesus is saying. So because what he says next, all right, up till now I've been using figures of speech and, and now I, I, I guess I'm going to just speak plainly about what's going to happen. No more figures of speech. And the word for figures of speech is in Greek, it's peroimia. I think this is interesting. It, it's, it's like a metaphor. And if you look through the gospel of John, you will see a lot of peroimia. Um, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd that's a figure of speech. I am the light of the world. That's another figure of speech, a metaphor, paromia. So John, when he wrote about Jesus, he remembered these, these paromia, these figures of speech. Matthew, and as well as Mark and Luke, they didn't have as many of these. What, what, are they, what do they remember about Jesus' teaching? His paraboles, his parables. Right? So a paroimia is a figure of speech, a metaphor. A parabole, a parable, is a story with a spiritual point. Similar, but not the same. I, I find that interesting that the, you see in the different, different people remember and connect with different things. And so that's why we have different ones from the different Gospels. But now Jesus says, let me speak to you plainly. I want you to understand this so you know that it's not just me but that the Father himself loves you and you can talk to him directly. And so then we get the, so this is him speaking plainly to his disciples about what's going to happen. He says, I came from the Father. I have come into the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. Is that plain enough for you? 
right? Like he's trying to, I mean, remember the disciples were fishermen in that, that they weren't Bible scholars, right? They, so Jesus is just laying it out. I'm, I came from the father, you know, I came into the world and now I'm going to leave the world and I'm going to be with the father. And, and in verse 29, the disciples say, oh, okay, we get it now. Now it makes sense. I, I don't know what you're talking about, about some pregnant lady. I don't, I don't see any of them around here, but, but this makes sense to us. And so now we know what you mean. We believe that you came from God and you know what you're doing. And, and in verse 31, Jesus says, now you believe, right? It's the night before I'm going to die. And now you believe like, how, like, all right, the hour has come. You know, I'm glad you got it before, before it all hits because tonight it's going to hit. It's happening. The hour has come. So I, I just find this conversation with Jesus and the disciples kind of amusing in how this takes place. And you can imagine, this is real people talking about real things. And then Jesus speaks a few more plain words. Verse 32. And that says, um, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Think about why Jesus had to, to tell them this. I think there's a few reasons. But why, why do you think? Why, why did Jesus have to make sure he told them this part? Well, I would wonder that after they were scattered, because all the disciples, when Jesus was arrested, they would, they would try at first to, to, to fight for him, and then they would run away. And would they think, oh, we're out, right? We already, we already messed up. There's no going back. And I think Jesus had to tell them this to know he already accounted for their failure, right? He, already, he knew that they would fall short, that, that they would you know, that they would run away at the crucial time. And he, he's not given up on them. They're still on the team. Even if in that moment, they, they did not step up. And so he's, he's letting them know, don't worry. It'll be, it'll be okay. Stick with me. Don't give up. And says, and don't worry about me being left alone. Don't stress out about that. The father's with me. I'm not really alone. He'll go with me all the way. And then you get to verse 33. And there he gives them two reasons not to give up. I've, let me just read this again. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble or tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So we see one reason to keep going. Um, well, first we note that, that it's not going to be easy. You will face trouble. Note, we get a promise of trouble. You know, do they put this one in the Bible promise books, right? Promise, you will have trouble in this world. <laughs> okay, you know, but what he says is, um, you will have his peace in the midst of it. That we can have, through the difficult times of life, a peace that transcends our circumstances. Right? Uh, our situation, whatever we're facing, there's a peace that transcends that. And that peace comes from knowing that our God is sovereign. He's in control. Isn't that where anxiety comes from when something feels out of our control? Right? We, 
we like, we want to have a handle on it and we don't know what to do. And we, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to do this. And, and I don't know what's going to happen next. And, and that's when we feel all this anxiety. But what if we know that's okay? My father has this in hand. There's a peace that transcends our circumstances, a peace that transcends our understanding. It talks about in another verse. That peace can guard our hearts no matter what we face in this life. And then he gives a second reason. And to get to that, I want to look at two Greek words in this passage. The first one I've already sort of talked about, and that is thlipsis. It's my, oh, it's my favorite Greek word because you got the T-H-L, thlipsis. It's so fun to say. Um, and, but it's not a fun word. It means tribulation, hardship, uh, trouble, um, all these things. In fact, there's other places in the Bible that talks about a mega thlipsis a great tribulation, but it's this idea that we are going to face, face challenges, hardships in it, but we can have his peace through it. So that's the first word. The other word is um, a little harder to say. It's nenikaka, but the key, there's a core within that, and the core word is Nike. Nike does not mean shoes. It means victory. Right? The, the, the fact, that's why Nike picked it for their, their shoe brand. Right? It means victory. It's where we have overcome. And Jesus says, but take heart. I have overcome. Jesus is saying this even before he goes to the cross because he knows that he's set his mind, that this is going to happen, that he's already won the victory in where he's going. And, and here, why, why should they take heart, though? Because he's won the victory. Because if we are with him, we win as well. If we stick with him, his victory is our victory. In the end, we win because Jesus has overcome the world. Um, There's several verses that kind of convey this. Revelation 3.21 says, To the one who is victorious, speaking of believers who continue on, says, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Right? Talks about us sitting on thrones. That kind of victorious. Romans 8 um, is talking about whether it should, should trouble or hardship or persecution mean we're, we're going to lose somehow, maybe it doesn't look good. It says, no, of course not. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. It's the same word. More than victorious, more than conquerors through him who loved us. So even though it may look like at the cross that, that, that we had lost, right? That, that's the issue, right? They're going to see the cross and think, man, we, we, are, we are losers. We made a bad bet. And Jesus says, don't give up. A few more days, and you're going to see the victory. And in the resurrection, we see Christ victorious over death, Christ victorious over sin. And, and if we're, as long as we don't give up on him, we win, no matter what this world throws at us. One last verse, Romans 8. Um. Let me read this whole thing because it says, if, if we are his, we're his children. It says, if we're, if we're his children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. 
right? We suffer in this time, but man, the glory we have when we're, we're in the victory with him is so great. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. One day, we will be glorified. We will see what this victory really looks like. We would be fools to give up on Jesus now. Just because things get a little tough. The sufferings we face will not compare with the glory that will come when the end hits. Friends, I want you to memorize John 16.33. Memorize it whatever version you have. I I learned it in the NIV long ago. It says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Put that to memory. Stick that in your brain. When things get tough, come back to it. Whatever this world throws at you, know that his peace is with you and he's worth it. Because in the end we win. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have overcome the world, that you did not yield to the the sorrows and troubles and persecutions and pain, but that you stayed faithful to the Father on the cross and that you gave your life um, in obedience to the Father, but you gave your life on behalf of all of us so that your victory becomes our victory when we trust in you. Lord, give us the strength. Give us the the energy. Give us the, the impetus deep in our heart to follow you however you lead and whatever we face. We love you and we trust in you. And we pray in your name. Amen. Let's sing together. Let's stand and sing our closing song, The Lion and the Lamb. <laughs>